it's been a couple of weeks since I've been here, and I wanted to, to finish up the series that I started and was praying for that opportunity to, to, to finish it up. We've been on a series uh, called Punishment versus Restoration. And in any heavyweight battle, after the fight is over, it becomes time to, to crown someone victorious. And that's what I'm here to do today. Uh, today is the opportunity for me to declare uh, King Jesus, the, the victor, to uh, show to us how this king uh, claimed victory in a way that surprises me. It still surprises me. Philippians chapter 2, if you will turn in your scripture there. And as we're going to Philippians chapter 2, I need to tell you this. Uh, this entire year, 2020, it, I can't get far from Philippians chapter 2. Every time I, I go in another direction, God will bring my morning meditations back to Philippians chapter 2. And I have spent so much of my ministry studying about love and preaching about the love of Christ. And this year of 2020, the Holy Spirit has been telling me to look at power. And so I want us to look at power today. And I want to read the verses found in Philippians 2. I'm going to read all the way through verse 11. Here's what it says. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation in love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, Jesus, every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. I watched weeks ago as uh, Bishop Rance Allen passed away, and he used to sing this song, something about the name Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I, ever since his, his passing, I've been singing that song as, as good as I can, thinking about him. But the, the words of that song, and I can't sing it for you, but I, I'll say them to you. It says, there's, there's something about the name Jesus. It is the sweetest name I know. In Philippians chapter 2, 
oftentimes the translators will, will give you a heading above the Scriptures. And for me in Philippians chapter 2, my Bible says this, Be like Christ. Be like Christ in what we read in Philippians chapter 2. But i got to tell you, when I look at Philippians chapter 2, I do not see us, and let me be very personal, I find my own struggles of being like Christ in this. You see, it's interesting what people do when they have power. And, and I've been looking at power. Jesus comes at an appointed time. He comes during the time of Roman occupation. Why? Because they were one of the most powerful kingdoms ever. And God is setting up this cosmic conflict between the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God. And what makes me oftentimes, and, and if I can just be frank, it makes me sick, is when I see how broken humanity uses power. When I, when I look at what we humans do when you give us just a little bit of power, it, it makes me nauseous, really, because it doesn't look anything like Christ. When I look at the world, and Paul is wanting us to think about these world systems how many times do we see people who are seeking their own glory? How many people are seeking fame? How many people are seeking uh, praise? We live in a culture now where people are famous for being famous. Like, you don't even have to do anything. Just the goal is to be famous. And, and, and so people self-promote themselves and seek their own glory. And this attitude, i got to tell you, even when I see it in myself, it makes me it makes me nauseous of how is it that I can know Christ the way that I do and yet so many times get wrapped up in seeking things just for myself, being self-serving and, and self-seeking, how we all want to be on top. And just watch what happens when someone threatens our honor. Ooh, what happens when somebody says something and it, it hurts our feelings, it it makes us feel dishonored. What, what do we tend to do? It doesn't matter if we're part of the world or if we're part of the church. We sometimes operate much the same. We want to lash out. We want to we take vengeance. That's what the world does when it has power. But Paul says, I need you to have a different attitude. I need you to have a different mindset. I need you to have the attitude and the mindset of Christ. And so... I'd love for us to just look through some of these scriptures. I want to take us verse by verse if we can today. And I want to begin in verse 3. And I want us to hear the words of Paul as he shows to us the life of Christ. Beginning in verse 3, I want to take you back there. It says this, Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourself. As I read that verse, I can't help but think of Christ on the cross. If you will picture Him there, that's the image that Paul is working up toward is Jesus Christ on the cross. And, and he says, do nothing out of selfish or empty conceit. I, I see Jesus hanging on the cross and I hear the people crying out, if you are who you say you are, then save yourself. The world is always crying out. It, it didn't just cry out to Jesus on the cross and saying, look, if you're God, then save yourself. The world also screams that to us. Have you ever heard it? Have you heard that cry, that scream that says, you better save yourself. You need to take care of yourself because if you don't take care of yourself, no one else 
will. Sometimes it's not a scream. Sometimes it's that quiet little inner voice that you hear. You don't know where it comes from, but it's like, oh, you better watch out. You better take care of yourself. And, and so there's this stark contrast between the world that screams, save yourself, and a Savior who gives himself. Hmm. And, and I wonder sometimes if our marriages wouldn't be better if we would turn off that voice, whether it is screaming or it is whispering that says, you better save yourself. How many times do our marriages break down because both people are trying to save themselves? Both people are trying to preserve themselves. I wonder how many times we create these toxic environments in our workplaces because everyone shows up on Monday morning with a voice whispering in their ear that says, you better save yourself this week. You better take care of yourself this week. And yet Jesus has no concern for himself, it seems. That you would say, but, but Kevin, we got we to gotta take care of ourselves, right? Well, this is how you do it. Look at verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. It didn't say not to look out for your interests. I look at the life of, of Jesus, and, and Jesus was hungry, right? Jesus is, is thirsty. Jesus is tired. Jesus needs to get away and be alone with the Father. And so Jesus ate, and he took care of getting food for himself and, and water when he was thirsty, and he rested when he was tired. He, he took care of himself. But the key is that one word there, do you see it? Do not merely. He didn't merely look out for himself. He didn't look out for himself at the exclusion of other people. When you look at the reputation of Jesus, and you can look outside of the Christian church, everybody I've ever known loves Jesus. <laughs> the, the Buddhists don't have a problem with Jesus. The Hindu don't have a problem with Jesus because when they look at Jesus, they see something and they go, wow, impressive. What is it about this Jesus? It is that he gets this reputation for not looking out for himself, but looking out for the interest of others. Now, let me ask you a question. What's your reputation? How do people see you? Do they see you as the one that's always looking out for themselves, merely looking out for their own interest? Or do they say, there's a person who seems to be able to take care of themselves, and yet their life is built around helping others. That's the amazing thing when Christ comes in and He fills us up, is that we no longer have to fight and strive for ourselves. We realize that God is going to provide for our needs. And so now we don't have to look out merely for ourselves. Now we can look outside of ourselves, and this beautiful thing happens. We see the world around us. Let's go on down to verse 6. He says, Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Hmm. Make no mistake, Jesus is God. That's what that verse is telling us. Jesus is God, and yet he didn't regard equality as something that he had to fight for. He didn't walk around on the earth saying, hey, do you know who I am? <laughs> do, do you realize 
who is in front of you when Jesus comes to town. He didn't go send his disciples out and, and tell them, now go on and just proclaim that God himself has entered the village today. Hmm. He, didn't, he didn't grasp this equality. He didn't need the recognition which makes me ask a, another question. By the way, all these questions that I'm asking you this morning are ones that God has asked me as I've studied this word. And here was the question for verse 6. How long can you do something, Kevin, without getting recognition for it? Can I ask you that? How long can you do something without getting recognition for it? Before you want to quit? before you get upset and you get frustrated and you get discouraged, when you get mad at people because they don't realize what you're doing. The question I think we have to ask is, is how long can you do something if you don't get any praise at all for it? I, I wonder what would have happened if Jesus had stopped halfway. And he said, you know what? You guys don't realize who I am. And you don't realize what I'm doing. And so I quit. But he didn't say, I quit. He said, I finished. He said, it is finished. I have finished what I was sent here to do because I didn't come for recognition. I came for you. What a way to serve. What a, what a way to live life. And I have learned uh, being a pastor of some number of years now, and, and maybe God will show you the same thing, that he will call you to help people who don't even know how to tell you thank you. That, that God is going to send you into some places and He's going to ask you to minister so, to some people and they don't even understand generosity. It used to make me mad because I would think if I was going to do all this, surely someone would say thank you, right? I mean, that's like the, the right thing to do. You just show generosity. But then I realized that, that the world is such that there are people that don't even know how to be generous. They don't even know how to, to say thank you. And so God has to be able to send us as Christians just like He did His Son into a world that doesn't know how to say thanks. That doesn't know how to give recognition and say, will you go anyway? Even if you never get recognition. Realizing that God will take care of His own. Verse 7. But He emptied Himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. I've said this before. It may sound familiar to you. The example of the world is this. We love a good American story of someone who came from nothing and was elevated into something. It's our favorite stories. It's the American dream that anyone can come from absolutely nothing, uh, an immigrant with no money, makes their way to Ellis Island, becomes a business person and a multimillionaire. We love those stories. That's just not the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus is the king of the universe, the king of glory, the one who was something, comes and empties himself. So rather than the one who has nothing becomes something, the one who truly was something became nothing so that folks like me and you who really were nothing could have something. Blows my mind. 
it seems like Jesus does everything in his kingdom different than the way of the world. Everything about his kingdom is different. And so this one who has everything gives up everything. I wonder if that's why we have so many people, Christians included, who are trying to be something. And so we're grasping and we're striving and we're looking for recognition and we got it all backwards. So if that's not work for you, maybe I should suggest something else. Do it different. If that's not working, do it different. Do it like Christ, like my verse says, be like Christ. The heading of my chapter. Be like Christ. What might we do? Here is one who was infinitely good, who emptied himself and poured out all of his goodness on humanity. He emptied himself. The one who was full of goodness empties out his goodness on humanity. The one who was full of joy in his presence, his fullness of joy. What does Jesus do? He empties himself and gives joy to those who didn't have it. That's what the king of glory does, who has everything and yet empties himself. The prince of peace empties out his peace on us. And so I'm wondering then if in that like manner, what we need to do is this, not strive for peace and strive for joy and strive for happiness, but instead learn to give away anything that God has given to us and he just might give us more. That if we lived as those who had been, who God had emptied himself. That's why I'm here today, y'all. It's because God emptied himself on me. He, he poured his goodness on me. And he poured his mercy on me. And he poured his love on me. And he shouldn't have done it because I didn't deserve it. It was, it was not the thing that people in power do, but he did it. And so when I stand before you, I say, you know what? I've been freely given to i got to freely give myself. It's interesting, too, that as he emptied himself, what he even calls himself. Like I said before, he didn't go around saying, hey, by the way, uh, D, I'm the son of God. Hey, Dana, I'm the son of God. Instead, he picked this obscure name, one that you hardly find in Scripture. It was his self selected name he called himself not the son of god when he was around people he called himself the son of man he he almost hid himself i, I don't watch a a ton of tv um i like sports i watch a lot of sports i don't watch a ton of tv i'm not big on reality shows but there was this one show that i liked they i liked it and i watched it some and, and it was called undercover boss any of y'all remember that one Undercover boss. So here's the story of undercover boss. You have these CEOs of these big companies, and they're wanting to get in touch with the people who work within their companies. And so they disguise themselves. They, they put on these men who don't have beards and mustaches. They put on beards and, and mustaches. And as Brantley and I were talking about this morning coming to, to church, she said they had the worst disguises ever, like the cheapest wigs. They put glasses on them, baseball caps, the craziest things. But these... The CEOs of these companies would go down into the assembly lines and, and they would wait on tables. And the interesting thing was the people at that level didn't even know who the CEOs were. That's good. Keep that in mind. 
They didn't know who these CEOs were. The head of the company, they didn't know them, didn't know anything about them, didn't even know what they looked like so that you could put a cheap disguise on them, and they didn't know. And these bosses would work with these folks and talk with these folks. They get to know these folks, and they're hard, and, and they just had conversation. But then, at the end, that was when it was really good. That was the, the climax of the show is when the, the boss comes in and he takes off the disguise and they see him for who he really is. And all of a sudden, the boss starts giving out gifts. So for the employee that couldn't get to work with a car that had to walk to work every day, the boss said, you know what, I'm so impressed with what you've done that I'm, I'm going to give you a car so you can get back and forth to work. He said, you know what, I, I heard while we were talking how you had been working overtime trying to send your child to school because you wanted them to be the first one to go to college. Well, I've set up a trust and now your child's going to be able to go to school. I, I know that you're a single mom and you've been working all this time trying to put some things together and you've always wanted a place of your own. Well, I, I got a place for you. You've got your own house now. And these people would just weep and they would just cry and they would say, I don't deserve it. And that's what everybody says when they know who they are and who the boss is. They say, I don't deserve that. And he doesn't look at them and say, I know you don't. <laughs> he just looks at them and says, I just wanted to do, do that for you. You see, what you're getting in that story is very Christ-like. It amazes me how Christ-like it is that, that it gives us this image, and I don't think they meant to do it, but it gives us this image of Christ who says, yeah, you, you didn't deserve it, but I'm giving it to you because of my nature. I'm, I'm giving it to you because of who I am. I came down here because I wanted to meet you. <laughs> Jesus said, I could have stayed in heaven and I could have punished sinners, but I didn't. I came down and had a conversation and I hid myself a little bit so that only those who really were seeking me could find me. I came as the Son of Man, not the, the Son of God, although He was the Son of God. Verse 8, let's look at that. It says, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father, which is amazing because it connects the Son to the Father. And it says that Jesus didn't just go on a rogue mission. He was sent by the Father. The Father said, I want you to go. And the Son said, I'll go. I'll willingly go. So you've got the Father who is willingly giving of His only begotten Son. And you've got the Son saying, yes, Father, I'll be obedient. And I'll go and I'll give myself away. And if we're not careful, we'll give ourselves away. But we won't do it like Jesus. And let me see if I can explain that. There might be somebody who's listening today and you suffer for something that I have suffered with in my life. It's this disease and it's called people pleasing. Anybody ever had a touch of that disease? Some, some of us have been eat up with it. Absolutely destroyed by it. this thing of people pleasing. Now people pleasing will cause you to die a thousand deaths. If you've ever been a people pleaser, you know what it's like. You will die a thousand deaths, but none are like the death of Christ. 
I'm going to say that one more time because you need to hear that. A people pleaser will die a thousand deaths, but none will die like Christ. Because you see, there's something broken and wrong in the people pleaser. The people pleaser is trying to please people not because they love people, but because they need the acceptance that people bring. You see, they don't come full, they come empty. They don't come well, they come broken. The people pleaser does what they do because they need something. They need someone to say, you did a good job today. Man, that was awesome. Wow, you're really smart. I can't believe how hard you work. That's amazing. You see, the people person is dying every day, but never living. They're dying and dying, but never finding life. Why? Because they can't find it. Because they're trying to give something in order to get something back. But when Jesus died for the world, and make no mistake about it, he died for the world. For God so loved the world. God didn't just love a, a hand-select, elected group of people, quit doing gymnastics with the word he loved the world. And he gave himself for it. And then he did this amazing thing. He said, but you know what? You get to choose. You get to choose. And I won't make you choose. That's what's different about God. Everybody else who is in power makes everybody who is under them submit to them. That's what the world does when it has power. But God says, I'll do all of that. And then I'll let you choose. I'll let you choose if you, if you want me or not. And then I look at him as he hangs there, as he's giving his life away. And make no mistake about this. There are some of us who can give, but none of us who can give like Christ. He is the ultimate giver. He is the, the ultimate one who gives his very life for us. And and he's not giving his life for good people. He's giving his life for sinners. He's giving his life for transgressors. He's giving his life for, for enemies. So I've got another question. How do you treat your enemies? Because how you treat your enemies says a lot about your Christ-likeness. Don't tell me how you treat good people. <laughs> don't, don't tell me how you treat nice people. Don't tell me how you treat people that show you respect. I'm asking, how do you treat your enemies? How did Jesus treat his enemies? He died for them. It amazes me how hard some people will work to describe to humanity how they are enemies of God. And make no mistake, we were enemies of God. We fought against him. We still do even as Christians. We fight against Him. And we fight against His will. We were enemies of God. But then they stop there. Don't stop there. Romans says that though we were enemies, what did He do? He reconciled us to God. This Jesus, what does He do to His enemies? He, he loved them. That's why when they're getting ready to, to crucify Jesus, on the, they're getting ready to take Him and arrest Him. Peter pulls out the sword. Do you remember that? Peter pulls out this sword and he's like, oh no, you're not taking Jesus. 
and, and cuts off this ear of, of the high priest's servant. And Jesus looks at him, some words that maybe we overlook sometimes, but he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, what are you doing? You don't realize that I could call 12 legions of soldiers right now if I wanted to. 12 legions of soldiers. <laughs> Isaiah had to do some work. I had to look that up. How many is a legion? A legion 6,000 it says. Jesus told Peter, Peter, put your sword up. I don't need you and I don't need your sword if I wanted to call down 72,000 angels. That seems enough. I think 72,000 is enough. He said, I could have, but I'm not. Earlier, his disciples, when Jesus is going through Samaria, they look at Jesus and, and the Samaritans are not receiving Jesus. And they said, Jesus... Just say the word and we'll call down fire. And we'll consume them all. And Jesus says, you boys don't even know what spirit you're of. You don't, you don't even know. The, the Son of Man did not come to destroy the world, but to save the world. That's what Jesus does for His enemies. And so I'm here today to wrap up the series of punishment versus restoration. And when you see this thing of punishment versus restoration, I need to be very clear. The mission was never to punish. The mission of Jesus was always to restore. And don't ever mix the story and get it wrong. Because when you get it backwards and you're like Peter and you start pulling out swords and you're like the disciples and you start wanting to call down fire, then what you make Jesus is more like some other folks than who He really is. Wait, some other folks? Who are you talking about? Sometimes we present a gospel message and we make Jesus look more like a Roman czar than the Savior of the world. We make Jesus look more like a a drug lord, than the Savior that he is. We make him look more like the uh, 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 leader of a gang than the Savior of the world. We make him look more like a, uh, a crime boss than the Savior of the world. When I look at all of those people, what do they do? How do they treat their enemies? Well, they punish them. They vindicate themselves. They make sure that they're made uh, to pay for what they've done because nobody gets to insult the honor of the czar, of the drug boss, drug lord, whatever it may be. I've had people say, Kevin, you make God too small and man too big when you talk about love and when you talk about His forgiveness and you're, you're unbalanced in, in your presentation of Jesus, we need to make sure that people know that, that God is sovereign and God is righteous. And hear me when I say this, God is sovereign and God is righteous. <laughs> he can do whatever He wants to do. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If He wants to call down 72,000 angels, He certainly can. <laughs> but He didn't call down 72,000 angels. He hung on a cross and He bled and He died for the sins of the world. And He stood for all of eternity and said, this is how I treat my enemies. And He introduced this thing called forgiveness. 
that the world had never seen. For 2,000 years, D, we've been struggling. What is Jesus doing on the cross? And I will tell you, what He is doing on the cross is forgiving the sins of the world. Something we've never seen before. Something we still can't make sense of, it seems. We can't figure out what He is doing. And so... What I am saying is this, is God sovereign and is He righteous? Yes. And do I diminish the sovereignty or the righteousness of God by saying that God loves and that God forgives? I would say no. No, I did not make God less glorious. In fact, I didn't even stop at making Him more glorious. He's the most glorious. (laughs) He's not more glorious He is supremely glorious because He set an example that had never been set before. There's no one like Him, (laughs) y'all. No one's ever done what He did. There is none like this King Jesus. There's something about the name Jesus. It's the sweetest name I know. And when He looks at me and He says, Kevin, I need you to love your enemies. Mm. I thought of some during this message. I thought of some. Wanted to put them in their place. (laughs) Wanted them to get what was coming to them. And he said, Kevin, I need you to love your enemies. That was from the, the, the Sermon on the Mount. I didn't just pull that out of thin air. He literally said, love your enemies. But now if Jesus is going to vindicate his enemies, then he's looking at me saying, Kevin, you need to love them, but I'm going to get them. In other words, God and through Christ would be looking at us saying, Kevin, do as I say, not as I do. There's a lot of parents who live that kind of lifestyle. Child, do what I say, not what I do. And the parents look at those same parents and they go, forget you. (laughs) And they do what their parents do, not what their parents say. And their parents say, I don't know why they won't do what I tell them to do. Because you never gave them an example to live by. God did not tell us, do as I say, not as I do. He hangs on the cross and he said, do as I do. Do as I do. Child, do as I do. Forgive. Love your enemies. Well, how many times? <laughs> right? Seven times 70, 490. If I get to 490, can I stop? Jesus says, no, the cross stands infinitely forever, saying, forgive again. Forgive again. Jesus looks at me and he says, Kevin, I forgive you again. When you don't want to love your enemies and you don't treat them right, I forgive you again. My forgiveness is constant. And so I would tell you that this Jesus that we find in Philippians chapter 2 and the way that I have presented him today does not make him less glorious. It makes him the most glorious. It is why it says, and I will close with this, for this reason also God highly exalted him. It's the uncovering of the boss. When we see him as he really is, God lifts him up through the cross and says, look at what my son did for you. It says he is highly exalted and he bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, whether in heaven or on earth or under it, and every tongue will confess what? 
that Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> there are people who have kneeled at the feet of czars, and they did it because they knew they had to. But we will kneel before the Son of God because He won us. Because He changed us. Because we want to. And there's some crowns, I think, that we're supposed to get when we go to heaven. And there are a lot of people who worry about working for these crowns. And I've looked at that and I say, you know what? I don't really think that's supposed to be the moral of the story. Because if you keep reading, what do they do with those crowns? They throw them at his feet. <laughs> and they cry, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That is my king. That's my king. <laughs> I, I wanted you to hear about my king today. I wanted to finish this series about punishment versus restoration to tell you that my king is victorious, not because he came to punish the world, but because he always came to save it. He always came to restore it and also came to give you a free choice as to whether or not you would receive the work that Jesus Christ has done. So I want to beg you, as Paul said we should, I want to beg you to be reconciled with God. I want to beg you while there is an opportunity to turn your life to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who gave everything. And I want to encourage you to be like Christ. Church, I want to encourage you to go back and meditate on these verses and let God ask you those questions. Because I tell you this, you know the greatness of a person. You know if Christ has touched them, not by how they treat good people, you'll know it by how they treat their enemies. Wow, what a king. And so today, Father, we thank you that you are highly exalted, that you are high above all rule and authority because you did something that none of us saw coming. You did something that for 2,000 years afterwards, we still stare at the cross in wonder and amazement, God. We still look at that and go, God, what, what are you doing? You don't deserve to be there. Anyone who would claim the name of Jesus has come to that place where we say, God, you don't deserve to be there. I'm supposed to be there. And yet you demonstrated yourself the greatest giver. The one with the greatest ultimate level of forgiveness. And so, God, we want to say thank you. And we want to praise you. God, that's why we want to kneel and we want to bow and we want to praise and we want to lift up your name because we've never seen anything like you. And we are grateful that you loved us. And then we want to examine our hearts because I think we're supposed to be more like you and less like the world. And so we got to figure out what we do when we have power and why we want it so. So, Lord, we give you permission to search our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you.